All right, let's take our Bible this morning and turn to Nehemiah chapter number 4. Great music today. How wonderful. I really like that last song especially. Um, it's an uh, early church creed. And so uh, that song that we just sang, in one form or another, Christians have been singing that same song for the last 2,000 years plus. Isn't that amazing? And uh, we stand in the line. Sometimes we have a little bit of chronological snobbery. We don't think too much about those that have gone before us. But uh, there have been many brothers and sisters down through the ages that have been uh, singing and praying and giving and preaching and fellowshipping with God's people in God's house. And I'm so privileged and thankful, as we all should be, to be in that line and that great heritage. And so this morning, Nehemiah chapter number 4, I was thinking even early this morning, I'm going to go ahead and preach from this chapter, try my best to kind of get as much as I can. And next Sunday, I might. there's so much rich material in chapter 4, I might come back and preach from this chapter again, or we might just move to chapter 5, but just so many things to, to say from this chapter. Would you join me in just a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would help us this morning as we seek to honor Him and look at His Word. Our Father, now we do come to You, and uh, we, we pray that You would open our minds and hearts Lord, that You would help us to concentrate for this short period of time in much the same way that we would concentrate on those areas and facets of our life that we consider to be of utmost importance, whether that be with our family, or Lord, whether that be with our work. For Lord, the most important thing in all the world is our relationship with You, both individually and corporately as a church. And so now I pray that You'd help us to focus. We also pray that the Spirit of God that we've just sung about in this song, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that, they, that all of You would be present this morning here with us and that the Spirit in the Bible says that He will guide us into all truth, that He is the Comforter. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit would have liberty in this place today to help and encourage Christians that are struggling Lord, to convict Christians that are not living for You the way that they should. And then, Lord, if there be any that are among us today that do not know You as Lord and Savior, that You would convict them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and that You would point them to Jesus Christ upon the cross, and that through the decree of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son and the work of the Spirit, they might come to know You as Lord and Savior this day. We give You glory and honor and praise for this time Lord, as we lift Jesus up, may You draw all people to Yourself. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. Now when we come to chapter number 4 of Nehemiah, uh, these guys, uh, this, this whole group has gone back to Jerusalem and Nehemiah has led the people and they are rebuilding the wall. They are working. And remember last week I told you not all, not all of them, in fact, doesn't even say anything in there about masons or carpenter workers. And so I'm sure there must have been some of that. But we're talking about uh, goldsmiths, we're talking about perfume workers and moms and dads and children and everybody in between are working on this wall. And so they're doing the best they can. And by the time we get to chapter number uh, four, we find here that there's all kinds of problems. And so I put in your bulletin that when you're building, you're going to find yourself in the Christian life as battling as well. And that not only was true for Nehemiah and the people of that day, but it is true for the Christian life in this day as well. You can be certain 
certain that whenever you start to live for Jesus, whenever you start to work and build in your Christian life, whether uh, fathers, whether that's building into your children or working with your spouses or all of us together, whether that's uh, living an individual Christian life or the work that we seem to pull together here as a church, whenever we begin to build and work and live for Jesus Christ, you can take it for sure that there will come a battle that Satan is against us, that he will seek to knock you down and your family, that he'll seek to tear you down and pull you down. And any time the devil, that old, that old Satan, any time that he can pull you down and discourage you and keep you from serving God, then he has won the day. And so be sure that when you build, you will also do battle in the Christian life. I was thinking about how with all of our mission teams, I always tell them before we go on the mission trip, and then uh, many of you that have been with us, on the way back we'll stop at an airport somewhere and uh, on a layover I'll say, now look, the next couple of weeks you're going to find that the devil is going to do everything that he can to tear down what's going on on this trip. He's going to beat you up spiritually. He's going to poke holes in your tires. Some of us, that's been literally. We had, we had, I had that discussion, and I remember the next day somebody called me when we got back and said, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. All my, my tire went flat, couldn't even make it to work, had all these problems. You'll find that whenever you start to work for Jesus you're going to encounter Satan. And you know, I had a dear sister in this church that uh, teaches Sunday school and uh, encouraged me this week. I never even thought about it. Uh, she came by the office earlier in the week and was just, just talking about the Lord and things of God. And she said, you know, I remember when Cheryl Hall, we do the BAC here in the church, you know, Bible application class during the fall and the uh, winter and the spring of our church. Cheryl Hall used to teach and she, uh, she was saying, you know, I remember when Cheryl Hall told me I had never been attacked spiritually as much as when I taught through the book of Revelation. And I'm like, hello McFly! You know, I just got done teaching through the book of Revelation and I felt for the last few months, man, I just feel like the devil's kind of beating up on me a little bit. I think sometimes as Christians, we get to going and thinking that things are going to always be just okay and we forget that the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in high places and that we are in a war against the devil and all of his wickedness and he's coming after you. Did you think about that this week? If you didn't, let that be a refresher that you understand if you're going to live for Jesus, you need to expect that you are going to face some hardships and some attacks and some battles. In fact, if you're in here today, I don't want to put any guilt or, or frustration on you, but if you haven't felt any sort of oppression or any sort of attack or any sort of, man, I feel like I'm fighting some sort of spiritual warfare here, the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so when we go through seasons of our life and if you you know if you're just kind of skipping through the dale and you say man it's been 10 15 years for I've ever had any kind of struggle in my Christian life then I simply would come back and ask you what kind of Christian life are you really living are you building are you working? Are you fighting for Jesus? Are you fighting for your family? Are you fighting for your friends? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you living the kind of Christian life that gets the attention of the devil? Or when he looks at your life, does he just kind of yawn and lean back and say, ah, they're not really doing much anyway. I'll go attack somebody else. When we come to a chapter like this, you can make no bones about it 
Nehemiah and the people of Israel are facing an attack from Satan and it comes through these mainly these two guys of Sanballat and Tobiah. And so here's what I want to do. I'm just going to give you a few points today and uh, let me give them to you up front. That way if I don't get all the way through, you'll at least have them. Uh, simple points. From verse number 6 today, I want to make the point uh, that we have to have a mind to work. We have to have a mind to work. And then from verse number 5 and verse from number 9 today, I would say that we have to have a heart to pray. A heart to pray. So we need a mind to work and we need a heart to pray. And then again from verse number 9, I would say that we need to have eyes to watch. Eyes to watch. And then from verse number 20, I would say that we need to have ears to hear. Somebody in the New Testament was always saying that. You can guess who that would be. Verse number 20, we need to have ears to hear. So we need to have a mind to work. We need to have a heart to pray. We need to have eyes to watch. When We need to have ears to hear. And then the last thing I would say from verse number 14 is that we need uh, leaders with faith to stand. And gentlemen, I, I would say today that uh, certainly that would come down upon you. Also upon everybody here today needs to accept that message, but especially the men of our church, that we need to have leadership in our church. We need to have leaders with the faith to stand. You see that from verse 14. So here's what I'm going to do. Let me just read down through this and uh, make some points. So from uh, verse number 1 through 6, let me read those. Now it came about that when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble, now you want to highlight that, what are these feeble Jews doing? Notice the ridicule and the attack that comes. First of all, he attacks the uh, workers themselves. And they are, are they going to restore it themselves? And then he, he, he attacks the work itself. Can they offer sacrifices? And then he tags here uh, the finished product. And can they finish in a day? And can they revive the stones from the uh, dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And then look, his buddy chimes in in verse number 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox, that is like if this lightweight animal goes up on there, if a fox jumps up on it, the whole wall would break down. Nehemiah doesn't miss a beat. In fact, Nehemiah doesn't even tell you that he's about to pray. Nehemiah doesn't make any prefaces like I'm about to make. All he does is break into prayer in verse number 4. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach upon their own head and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sins be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to the half in the height, for the people had a mind to work. We must have a mind to work, and we must have a heart to pray. And when you look at those verses there, Sam Ballot goes right after the heart of these people. Here they are, a chapter before, they're building, they're going, they're doing, they're giving everything that they have. And this guy comes on the scene and the very first thing he does is ridicule God's people and the work of God and what they have finished. And in fact, Tobiah comes out on the back end of that and says, hey, everything that you've done, all that you've built, it's so sorry that if a lightweight fox goes up on there, all of your walls would fall down. 
And you don't have to live in the Christian life too long before you suffer ridicule. Some of you in this room today have faced ridicule from your spouse. Some of you have faced ridicule from your family, friends. Some of you go to school and you're hesitant to stand for Jesus and to live for Him and to let people know that you serve a risen Savior and that you believe on Him because you're scared to death of that community kind of organization where you're the odd one out and nobody wants to be around you and you're not sure if you can defend your faith appropriately. And this point, you're not even sure still if it is right or good and you feel the sting of that kind of ridicule that comes at you. Some of you go to jobs where the whole, the predominant amount of people there, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. And you come to church every week and the preacher says, share the gospel, tell people about your testimony, invite them to church. And you swallow down a big lump in the back of your throat because you know that the first time you say something to somebody, they're going to ridicule you. Thomas Carlyle said that ridicule is the language of the devil. Let me make a couple of points here of application. If you're in this body today and you're the kind of person that ridicules believers, stop. One of the most terrible things is not just ridicule that comes from the outside, but you'd find in verse number 10 of this same chapter that there's even people from within Jerusalem that are beginning to get so nervous and fearful that they're then going to ridicule. And I want to say, look, it's one thing for us to battle as a church and battle as believers ridicule from the outside, but isn't it a terrible thing when ridicule comes from within the body of Christ? So if you're in here today and you're the kind of person that criticizes and ridicules and always picks at other people and always looking for the worst in them, stop. Stop. Because you're sinning against God. If you find yourself in here today as a believer and you say, you know what, I'm facing some ridicule. There are some people and some things in my life where they're coming at me and attacking my faith and telling me that I'm worthless as a believer. They're pointing out all of my mistakes. Anybody ever had that where you're trying to be a witness and maybe you're down on the job but you say something you shouldn't say or do something or, or maybe you laugh at something you shouldn't. All of a sudden people point out and say, oh, you claim to be a Christian but look at what you're doing. You know why they do that? Because they're trying to push you down so that they can feel better about themselves. What's the response? Look in verse number 5. I'll tell you the very first response that you need to have is to pray to the God of heaven. And when you read that prayer, it's an imprecatory prayer. It comes from the Psalms that here's what it is. It's a harsh prayer. He says, God, don't forgive their sins and bring judgment upon them. And I just want to pause for a minute and say this. Look, here's the first and foremost thing you need to know about prayer. Stop faking with God. Be honest in your prayer. Read the book of Psalms and, and, and you'll have to pull back at some point and say, man, that guy is praying in a way that seems scary. I would never talk to God like that. I would never say that about somebody else, wouldn't you? Who else would you care to pray to about that? Don't gossip to other people. If you're going to gossip to anybody, gossip to God. Did I just say that recorded? <laughs> just pray to God and be honest. So many times as believers, 
Our hearts are hurting. We're ridiculed. People are coming against us. And you know what we do? We say, now, Holy Father in heaven, good to all and gracious Master who cares for the universe, Thou art worthy, Thee and Thy... And you start praying in King James English. Because you want your prayer to sound a certain way. When's the last time you didn't even just start with Father? I know Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a great way to begin your prayer. But have you ever just broke into prayer and said, God, judge them? Maybe if you began from an honest place in your soul, then God would help straighten your own heart out. And by the time you got to the end of the prayer, you would say, Thank you, Lord that all of the vile and all of the judgment that I just poured my heart out to you about the way people are treating me, thank you that you brought that crushing burden and weight down upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And help me to have the humility and love in my heart for other people. How do you battle against ridicule? You do it with prayer. And here's the second way. You do it with good old-fashioned work for Jesus. Look back at the text at verse number 6. Isn't that what he says here? After he prays, he goes straight into verse number 6. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height. Why? For the people had a mind to work. We must be the kind of people that have a mind to work and a heart to prayers. Put both of those points together for you. And I just want, I want to maybe put this out here for all of our people today. Uh, everybody that's here and that is a believer. Are you busy about working for the Lord Jesus Christ? In your own, let's, let's approach it from two places. Individually, in your own Christian life. Are you really making, are you waking up every day and saying, by your help, by your grace, by your spirit, I'm going to give everything that I have today to live for Jesus Christ. God is never opposed to effort. He is always opposed to earning. And some people live their life, look, it's not just about earning God's merit. You already have God's merit. God gave His Son. He died for you. You live from the standpoint of grace. But do you wake up every day and say, I'm going to give everything that I have to live for Jesus. I want to read my Bible today. I want to pray today. I want to be kind to people today. I want to find an area in my life and in the church. I want to serve God. I want to live for Him. I want to be everything that my children need me to be. I want to be everything that my spouse needs me to be. I'm going to live for Jesus today. Do you have a mind to work like that? If you're here and, and you don't, and you're a believer, I'm not coming down on you. What I am telling you is that you serve a merciful Savior who will accept your apology this morning. And He loves you. And He died for you. And just as free as you can possibly imagine, right where you are in a little while, we'll bow our heads, close our eyes, and you can pray to God right then. And maybe that would be the great point in your life where you could just say, hey Lord, man, I, I really haven't cracked my Bible open much at all. I don't even know where to begin. I want to get some help from the pastor. I, I want to start reading Your Word. I want to grow. I want to learn in Your Word. Lord, I, I really, I'm not spending much time in prayer. But I want to build my life. I want to build those that are around me. And part of that comes through having an ongoing prayer life with the Lord. 
And I've not been doing that. Hey, he'll, he'll forgive you right, right straight where you are. God loves you. You come to Him and just say, Lord, be honest in your prayer. Have a mind to work and a heart to pray and just say, Lord, I'm not praying. I'm not reading. I'm not serving other people. I'm going to say, that needs to take on place on an individual level in your life. And that needs to take place in a corporate level in the body of Christ here. Y'all know me. I, I've told you a thousand times, uh, you don't have to be involved in every ministry. You can't possibly do that. You don't have to do everything. And there's some of you, some things that you're not maybe even physically capable of. But shouldn't you pray and find one area somewhere within the church life that you can serve your brothers and sisters? What about sharing the gospel? Do you share the gospel? Do you, do you invite folks to come to church? Are you, are you after that? Are you building in that area of your life? Listen, when ridicule comes your way, don't waste time arguing and fussing and fighting and defending your own integrity. God will take care of all of that. Pray to the God of heaven for grace and get busy about the Master's business. Amen? Just start working for Him. And if you are a person in here today that finds yourself ridiculing others as a believer, I would first of all encourage you to get that right with Jesus. And then if that's kind of a habitual habit for you, if that's a problem, if that's a sin for you, get busy about the Master's business and you'll find that that'll go away. You know who the people are in church life that complain? The people that don't do anything. The people that are working for Jesus and, and giving it as hard as a go as they can possibly go and pulling in the same direction. Sometimes they have insight. Sometimes they even are re very realistic. They sit in meetings and say, hey man, this is broken down. But you know, those are the same people that say, it's broken down, Pastor, but we're ready to fix it. Let's get at it. Let's work at it. There's no, it's not not being realistic. Nobody's asking you to just kind of you know, walk on cloud nine and be in la-la land. Of course you got to be realistic. Of course you got to look at problems. If you never look at it realistically, you'll never solve it. But the people that are those kind of people are the people that say, here's the problem, but we're ready to work. Let's go get it. If you have a problem with ridiculing others, Pray and get yourself right with Jesus and then find a place to start serving in the body of Christ. Find a place to start feeding your own soul. Hey, I, man, one more, just a point here. I, I guess I just feel family today. Hey, I don't preach just a moralistic kind of religion. I'm not just telling you, read your Bible, pray, and if you don't, you're a terrible person. What I'm telling you is that those habits, those disciplines are not there as a checklist like you go to the grocery store. I want you, I preach to you about reading the Bible because it's for your good and my good. I don't wake up every morning and say, oh man, how many verses do I have to read today to fulfill that quota? And you should never read the Bible that way either. You should wake up in the morning and say, God gave me an infalli in, 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 infallible, inerrant, those are big words. It's just God's Word. And if I read it, it'll change my life. And I'm going to spend the next 30 days seeing if that is actually a true statement. The same way with prayer. The Bible, it's not like, man, how many minutes do I have to pray not to feel guilty? The reason why I want you to pray is because I want you to experience God one-on-one -on -one in your life. And I want you to come to me and say, Hey, I know that He's there. 
I met him in the secret place and I prayed and God did something for me. And I want to go back at it. I want to do it again and again and again. And then, and then maybe months down the road, you're going to come back and say, man, it's been like a desert. I can't find God anywhere. He's hid himself from me. And I'm going to tell you, just keep praying. Just keep praying. Just be faithful. Just love him. Seek for him and call for him for all of your heart. And you'll find that one day you'll keep being faithful, keep being faithful. And the water gates will open up from heaven. And he will fill you and love you. And you'll fill it again. And you say, man, that's enough that I can go from that cantina worth of water right there to the next next water hole. I can live the next day. I can live the next week. I can do what God has called me to do because I know that He's there. That's the kind of prayer life I want you to have. Not some sort of drudgery in where you just say words and they hit the ceiling and fall back down. And the only reason why you believe in it is because you're a Christian and you're supposed to. Do, do you pray like that? That's what I want you to have. That's how you overcome ridicule. Let me give you a couple more points we'll finish for today. Look at verse, um, verse 7 to 9. Oh man, see now I've got to read these words again here. All right. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, I got them right, heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry and all of them conspired. Look at that word there. They conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance. You want to underline that as well too. Uh, a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Um, I had written down here in my Bible, you can keep track of this if you want. You know, the Israelites here in Jerusalem, they're surrounded at this point. Did you know that? Uh, to the north, they have Samballot. To the east, they have Tobiah against them. To the south, they have Geshem. And to the west, they have the Ashdodites. And uh, they've gone now from a position of being ridiculed by the enemy to where there's actually legitimate plots to take their life. And uh, I was thinking this week, how do I communicate that? How do we talk about that for a moment and say, uh, to, to, to take life? Well, I don't think anybody in this room is being surrounded or plotted against to take your life. But what I would say is this is a moment where we can come into the New Testament and realize that we are not only fighting this kind of battle, but we fight the battle against the powers of darkness. And we are surrounded. The Bible says that, that He is the Prince of the power of the air. And there is all kinds of evil in this world. And when we walk out of this room, when we walk out into the world, we are surrounded by a culture that is set against us as believers. We are surrounded by the, uh, the false doctrine and we're surrounded by the devil that wants to tear down everything we have. How do you operate in a world in which you're surrounded? What did these people do? They prayed and they watched. Can any of you think of a New Testament place where maybe somebody who is like a really cool guy and was pretty awesome and did a lot of great miracles told a few guys that had a problem snoring, pray and watch for one hour. And three times he comes back and all of them are snoring. No breathe right strips, you know what I mean? They're all snoring, no, no, no prayer and no watch. I, maybe because I've talked about prayer for a minute, can I just say... There needs to be this aspect in your life when you're taking ridicule and when you're living in a world that's set against you that you need to be watching for your own soul lest you fall in to the temptation of the world. 
So many Christians just kind of live, you know, uh, this, this meandering life and they don't pay attention to what's going on around them. They don't pay attention to what, uh, what is coming through the television, what is coming through the radio, what is coming through the computer. And they just, uh, hey, sometimes, I'll tell you where you can see it. I'm, man, I'm just teaching today. Sometimes you'll be with a believer and I, I'll be somewhere with them and... Um, they're watching something, and it's inappropriate, but they don't know it. It's, it's inappropriate, but they don't think about it. They've been taking the same images into their mind since they were a child. And as an adult, it's just commonplace to them. And the reason why that is is because they don't have their spiritual sensitivity up listening to the Holy Spirit, watching what is going on in the world around them and watching for their own soul to make sure that what comes in is not harming and destroying the Christian life. Because if you're going to operate and live as a believer in a world that's completely against you and you want to make it, You've got to be able to watch what's coming in so that your heart and your mind and your soul are walking with Jesus and not influenced. That's why, listen, <laughs> I guess I could make everybody mad today. I just get everybody, look, you got, you got uh, this, uh, we have election year. You all know me, I don't preach on politics, I don't tell you who to vote for, but what I can say is, uh, certainly on, uh, on one particular side of issues, you, you have some issues there where people are absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely in favor of not only abortion, but partial birth abortion. And then you go to the other side, and you've got, you've got folks on that side who are absolutely racist and sexist and say the most vile and ugly things. And if you're not careful, you'll go to the ballot box and what you'll vote is the tradition you've come up in or worse yet, the blurbs that you've seen on your social media networks or what people say on the news instead of immersing yourself in God's Word immersing yourself in prayer and adoration of Him and pleading for Him to show you and lead you how to live and be like a Christian. And when you do make your vote, rather than saying, well, I, I did this and I did this and I did that, you can honestly say before the Lord, I don't know, the whole scene doesn't really seem that great this time around, but this is what I've done. And I did it because I'm reading the Scripture and I'm praying to God and I'm watching what's coming into my soul and I'm not listening and just taking in everything of the world, but I am, I am impacting the world. I am transforming the world. I am not letting the world penetrate into me. I am penetrating into the world and standing in the public square and saying, this is how I believe. This is the way that I stand. These are the things that we say and do because we are Christ followers man that just wore me out to say that so <laughs> let's give you a couple more points we'll finish for today um, an ear to hear look at verse number 20 
Uh, from verse 11 down through verse number 20, they, they've been going through ridicule. They've been going through uh, this plots against them. Verse number 10, I don't have any time to talk about today, but it's discouragement from within. And verse 11 through verse number 23, it's fear that they're facing. You see that from uh, verse number 11, verse number 14, and on and on. But let me, let me make these the last one. From verse number 20, you have to have an ear to hear. Look at what he says. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Amen? You know why he says wherever you hear the trumpet? Because they're building this big wall. And there, many of them are uh, on the other side. They, they can't see or hear when the enemy attacks at one place. But, uh, but Nehemiah says, when I blow the trumpet, and come to the sound of the trumpet, and the fight is there. And I would say to all of us, listen, when you hear the sound of the trumpet of the Lord, get on board and come to the aid of your neighbor and work together for Jesus and His church and beat the same drum, go the same way, evangelism, missions, discipleship, Spend your life for a cause that's higher than you. Amen? That's what our church has got to be doing. we got to come to the sound of the trumpet for our brothers and sisters that are in need every day and every week. We've got to live for the Lord and for each other. Verse number 14 again. We need a leader with the faith to stand. <laughs> I should take you back. Um, let me see where that was. Look at verse, um, look at verse number... Oh my goodness. Verse number 14. Oh man, somebody help me here. There's one of these verses where it says we can't build the wall alone. Anyway, yeah, verse number 11. Our enemy said they will not know or see until it come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who live near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space. It wasn't where I was, but look at verse number 14. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Hey, a couple things. To, to the men that are in this church, whether you're a father or whether you're just a man in this church as a believer, is that the kind of man you are or are you a pansy? That's right, I said that. Yeah. Is that the kind of man you are? Let me tell you something. <laughs> I, used to, I used to think being a man was slinging a 16-pound sledgehammer uh, putting in footers for uh, commercial homes. Now you know what I think being a man is? Waking up every day and not sinning against God, leave, leading my wife to love Jesus and follow after Him. What about you? Your family see you read the Word? Why do you think it's so difficult? Some of you can work 60 hours a week and put all of the bread on, on the shelf and have all of the things and you can do it, but you don't live for Jesus. And you're going to find out in the end of days that God looked at that more as a pansy than a man. The Bible does say if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. 
You ought to be the kind of man that puts food on the table for your family. But I'm just asking, does your family see you do the kind of things that are eternal in nature and not temporal in nature? They should see you do both. And in fact, if you'll do the eternal and put those things first, it'll move your heart to do the things that are temporal. But I want to say, your family ought to see you lead. And you don't have to be the greatest scholar in the world to, to uh, lead your family spiritually. You don't have to even, look, you don't even have to know where all the books of the Bible are. For heaven's sake, there's a table of contents in the front. There's page numbers. You can Google that. You don't even have to be the one that reads. But you can gather, you can be the one who initiates. You can say to your family, hey, we're going to watch that game tonight. But before we do, we're going to take about 10 minutes. And uh, mama, grab the Bible and turn over there in the New Testament to Galatians 1. And uh, children... Just take turns reading two verses apiece. And here's a trick for you, man. If you, don't have, if you don't know how to understand it all, just ask your family these questions. Hey, what does that tell us about God and what's that tell us about us? Those are two of the most important hermeneutical questions. Oh my goodness. Those are two important Bible study questions. What, is, what does that tell me about Jesus? What does that tell me about God? What's that tell me about us? Just start somewhere. Let your family, let your church see you pray and read and invite people to church. Heaven's sakes, just put a roll of these cards. We, at our church, we got cards for everything. Put a roll of these cards in your pocket. You know why I just carry them in my pocket? So every time I put my hands in there and feel it, I'm reminded of what I'm not doing. Let your family see you invite the lady at the McDonald's drive through to church. I know it'll be an embarrassing and awkward act for you the first couple of 300 times. But you'll come away from it and your family, they, want, and they might not say anything, especially you got teenagers because they'd never want dad to be cool. It doesn't matter whether you're cool or not, they'll see you follow Jesus. And it might just be when they're 18 and 20 and 25 and 30 that it'll ring back in their ears when dad read and when dad prayed and when dad invited folks to church. And they might say, hey, that's the kind of thing I want to do with my life. Let me, let me finish by just doing this. Look, go back to the beginning of this chapter, those first six verses. You see there in uh, verse number two, old sand, sand ballot. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. And this is what he said. What are these feeble Jews doing? You see that? You see that in your Bible? The word feeble there is a, it's a plant term. And it means, what are these feeble, dying, little, no good plants? They're good for nothing. They're never going to grow. They're never going to sprout. They're never going to do anything great. You know, all through the Old Testament, that same language is used to the children of Israel. Egypt rises up against Moses and says, Who are you to come? Pharaoh says. You're so little and feeble. What about Abraham called out of Ur, the Chaldeans? You're so little and feeble. How are you ever going to have a generation that will rise up for you? Do you know where you see this, this language capitalized? You find this in the great Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. And by the time you get to Isaiah 53 you find that the old servant of the Lord who is the prophecy of Jesus in the New Testament, 
That he is, he is cast down in this light to be the feeble and the no good and the weak. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For He, the Messiah, He'll grow up before them, but only as a young, feeble, no good plant. He'll be like a root that is barely making its way out of dry, cracked, dusty land. He doesn't have any form nor comeliness. He's not a handsome man that we should look after Him. And He's not beautiful that, that we should desire Him. He's feeble. He's, he's no good. He's despised and rejected of men. In fact, He's the kind of man that everybody else runs and hides their face from. And we don't esteem Him at all because He's very feeble and very little. Surely, surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was wounded for your iniquity and He was bruised for your transgressions. And the chastisement, the punishment for all of our sins in this room was laid upon that feeble branch. And with His stripes, we are healed. And all we like sheep, we've gone astray. And all of us, we've gone after our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him that feeble, moving in the wind, susceptible little branch. The iniquity of us all. But the end of the chapter says this. That when He has made an offering of Himself for sin, our sin, He will see His offspring. The one who dies shall now see His offspring. How do you think that happens? Through the resurrection. Because the next words say, for He, His Father, will prolong His days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. We're going to build. We're going to battle. We've got to be the kind of people that have a mind to work, a heart to pray, eyes to watch, ears to listen, feet to stand faithful. But all the while, we live that way, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith.